This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Iron. The Arizona Cardinals select Kyler Murray. And the 2019 Offense Rookie of the Year is... This year's most valuable player, Lamar Jackson. All right, guys, welcome back to the Stop for the Past podcast, presented by Clutch Points and our friends at Blue Wire. I'm your host, Blake Lovell. With me is my co-host, Dylan Reagan. It is officially Super Bowl week here on the Stop for the Past podcast. But the thing about it, Dylan, is um, we had to get to the Super Bowl, and there was a lot of crazy stuff that happened along the way. And that is why we are going to do our uh, annual uh, awards ceremony here for our uh, 2021 NFL awards. Uh, we're going to give our picks for all of our wild and wacky uh, categories, but uh, one above all, and we will start with that one in a minute. But, uh, Dylan, these were hard to, to think of. I think we said this last year, but it's like the length of an NFL season mm-hmm. is not that long when you think about it, but <laughs> it's like it's just so much that you think back. It's like, oh, I forgot about that. That happened in week six or week eight yeah. <laughs> uh, because we've just seen so much, uh, I think. And then once you get into the playoffs, it's almost like your brain resets a little bit. But uh, we, we at least tried to go back and think of uh, some of our uh, best picks here uh, for our awards. wasn't easy to do, but I think we did a pretty good job. Yeah, I think we made a good list, and yeah, we're not doing every single award that they're going to have at the NFL Honors Ceremony. Have really only a few of those are the same as the ones we have. For, uh, you know, you all know all the, the classic awards. Yes, we'll cover a couple of those. But for the most part, we try to do a little bit of a different take here. Some things that we talked about yeah. leading up to the season. I know we don't have Defensive Player of the Year on here, but that one, one that for sure, obviously between Aaron Donald and T.J. Watt in my mind, but. I'm trying to, yeah, all these other ones. I mean, we got some uh, good things to talk about here. And like you said, just so many, especially in the playoffs, like for me, I, and when it goes down to one game at a time, I can really you can focus so much more on um, individual teams and players and different things that, you know, like you're saying, like I'm, over the course of the year, you can keep up <laughs> as much as you can possibly try and go back and rewatch certain things with certain teams. But there's a lot that goes on even, uh, you know, compared to other sports with so many games. There's only 256 games in an NFL season, but you know, there's so much, so so many things are uh, worth following, and uh, as you're saying, yeah, it's Super Bowl week. But it, it, after what happened over the weekend, it feels like it's uh, Rams Lions week with all the the coverage that's been going on at the moment. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, before we get into our awards, um, we're we're the Rams and the Lions listening in on our podcast from a week ago. You called it. I, yeah, you're the one that brought that up. Hey, I said I thought it would be an interesting idea uh, to think about. We talked about the different weapons. Uh, potentially Jared Goff could have there, and what do you know? Apparently, right after they listened to the Establish the Past podcast, the <laughs> award-winning Establish the Past podcast uh, in the Detroit Lions 
uh, front office. Um, they decided that uh, this was the route to go. So real quickly, Dylan, we will let you uh, weigh in on uh, the new quarterback there in Los Angeles, Matthew Stafford. We didn't think it was going to be uh, that easy in terms of those two destinations, yeah. uh, where those two would go. We didn't think it'd be as easy as a swap, but uh, there we have it. Yeah, I just didn't think the Rams had, the first of all, the draft capital to compete and ended up being, from everything I've read, especially from Peter King's deep dive on it, Albert Breer had a pretty good one as well. But from both of those, the thing I didn't really account for was how much the Lions would actually like Jared Goff. And I know it, it, that's the one thing you keep uh, hearing from you know, Rappaport and all these reporters about the whole thing. This wasn't like a Brock Osweiler contract dump. Yes, Jared Goff's contract is not great. And for depending on who you ask, it's a terrible contract that should not have been taken on by the Lions. But from all the reporting inside, obviously we've talked about Detroit taking Brad Holmes, the director of college scouting for the Rams, to be their new GM. He was one of the guys that was literally uh, pounding the table uh, ahead of the 2016 draft for them to, to trade up to take Goff. Uh, he's high on him. Dan Campbell in the in the um, Peter King column goes over how, you know, compared to other teams that were in the running, like the Colts with Drew Locke included in their trade package. You have the Panthers as well with Teddy Bridgewater. Those teams had a lot higher draft capital uh, with their first-round picks in the, in the top ten this year. Uh, so I, I just didn't think <laughs> that the, uh, the, you know, the, the Rams, what they had to offer would be good enough. Obviously, I do think that Stafford is a significant upgrade for the, the current Rams, and they've done such a good job, as we've talked about many times on here, of drafting – deep into the into the draft to find quality players they don't they look at it first round picks as being you know a, a 50-50 proposition and they, they want to try to eliminate that risk by trading them constantly we'll see if we ever if the Rams ever have a first round pick again definitely seems like a steeper price but when you look at on um, yeah Jimmy Johnson talked about it on Sunday on on the NFL Network and kind of went over you know the value of what these picks should be over the next two years if the bottom falls out for the Rams it could really backfire but uh, another another great quote that Peter King had in his column was from Sean McVay uh, before they traded for Stafford, and he said, uh, paraphrasing, but it was essentially that, uh, you know, it's not about winning the trade, it's about winning a Super Bowl. Does this really take the Rams to that level? Uh, I think their defense probably should regress. I don't know if they can keep everyone. Uh, but this does, even though this year the dead cap hit looks bad, and it's it's really only a $7 million more that they're paying overall at their quarterback position than they were anyway by taking Stafford on with with the dead money that's still going to Goff. It actually is going to open up more cap space next year after this. So, uh, And I, they're going to have more guys that they're going to be trying to retain. So I don't, as much as the Rams, uh, depending on who you look, some people think it's a good trade. A lot of people think it's uh, they overpaid completely. But I just, I, I do look at, I understand how they look at, you know, we have these talent, these guys in their primes, like an Aaron Donald, a Jalen Ramsey, that we don't want to just, kind of lollygag, especially for Aaron Donald getting close to entering his 30s, I believe, at this point. I mean, you, you need to you can go for it right now. And if, if you really believe that Stafford is that big of an upgrade, and I am excited, I've you know, seeing all the uh, film Twitter guys going over exactly how he's going to fit into Jared, or into Sean McVay's scheme and different things they'll be able to do, bringing back a vertical element that we haven't really seen from the Rams since teams kind of figured out McVay, what he was initially doing those first couple of years, and uh, as McVay wanted to adjust, another thing that Peter King talked about, you know, he, he tried to adjust schematically. It's just Jared Goff did not quite keep up, and uh, it's it's a really important position. <laughs> and uh, the Rams don't want to just be good, like they, you know, maybe this this is a swing and a miss. But I think it is something that they're betting on, and it's you know at least they're going for it. I'm not mad as a a fan about the the price range, just because again they have proven they've drafted so well in deeper rounds. They really develop guys as well. They have a great culture. And it's a message to the team as well, I, uh, you know, that they're trying to – they're not just trying to 
be adequate, another good team. They're trying to go beyond that and do something much bigger. Will it pay off? I mean, <laughs> Aaron, Aaron Rodgers has made one Super Bowl. Drew Brees has made yeah. one Super Bowl. It's not like it's easy to get there. I do not buy into what some of the columnists and people have said that it's Super Bowl or bust. Like, it's just about making, giving yourself the best chance to win a Super Bowl and for as long as possible. And they keep retooling and keep, even though the last few years a lot of people have talked about how they're they're you know strapping the roster, they're not deep enough. They have pretty deep talent, all things considering, given where they how much they pay some of their top guys. They've done a good job supplementing their roster. They keep doing it, so it makes them more interesting on a national scale. That's for sure. Yeah, it's uh, it's fascinating to see kind of uh, how everything came together, but. Like you said, if uh, basing it just on the Super Bowl, uh, we'll see. We'll see how it plays out because uh, not easy to get there no. for sure. Uh, we'll talk more about that as we go throughout the offseason, look ahead to the Rams and the Lions heading into next season. But for now, let's start with our awards here. And uh, as we did last year, we'll run through some different categories. Uh, I think we've got 10 or 11 here uh, to go through. But, uh, Dylan, we are going to start with our favorite. You know, usually we save the best for last, but – We've got to start with our favorite and most unique award on our, on this podcast, and that is the yeah. official AFC South award uh, because, uh, as you know, is the running theme here, the AFC South is absolutely nuts, and uh, we <laughs> give it its own award here on the podcast as we did a year ago. And uh, Dylan, I'm going to let you go first here because uh, it was another wild and wacky season in the AFC South, but uh, there were several, I thought, here uh, to choose from. Yeah, disappointing for our, our favorite division that uh, we didn't almost get a matchup like we did a year ago of teams yeah. in the championship game. Obviously, Houston and, and the Titans almost met before that crazy comeback by the Chiefs last year against Houston to eliminate them. That would have been our, our pinnacle of our podcast, mm. would have been an AFC South title game being the, uh, the AFC title game itself. But, uh, yeah, fun division still nonetheless. I thought, if anything, though, really these two teams in the, the, the top of the division – the uh, Colts and Titans were better this year uh, than the top two teams last year, replacing Houston with Indianapolis. Uh, but as you know, as fun as it was for those teams, my biggest moment, my biggest take takeaway was the Jaguars, despite winning in Week One against the Colts, <laughs> finding a way to successfully tank for Trevor Lawrence and you know getting Urban Myers as a result. I don't think. Uh, from everything I've read about the Urban Meyer situation, that he would have gone to Jacksonville if the quarterback situation in his mind wasn't already filled out. This was more of jumping on an opportunity, and I just I don't think they get Urban if they don't get the number one pick and the assumption they're going to take Trevor Lawrence. So, yeah, that's my props to the Jaguars making themselves possibly more relevant again in this in this amazing division by having a yeah they have all this cap space they have uh, you know Urban is built even if you're not, uh, if you're concerned about his jump from the college to the pros, he's built great cultures. He's built winning programs, and uh, it should be fun and makes the Jaguars, we talk about the Rams being more interesting on national scale. He taught Jaguars absolutely become a lot more interesting uh, on the NFL sphere by, uh, uh, you know, going 1-15. It's funny. That's how it works. I don't know if it should be the way it works that we reward yep. teams being awful, but it is what it is. Yeah, uh, that's like you said, That's um, they, they did it, and uh, they <laughs> – they have a, a new outlook, uh, I would say, there for the Jags here uh, moving forward. Another team that could have a new outlook, and that is uh, my pick, the Houston Texans. Uh, my pick for the AFC South Award is the Houston Texans finding a way to push their star quarterback out the door. Um, somehow they did it, and uh, again, he's not officially gone yet, but uh, I think we're setting up for a pretty uh, messy situation here between the Texans and Deshaun Watson. Uh, so the fact that they somehow – made this happen uh, i have no idea but really dylan we saw this coming like we even mm -hmm. say you go back to last year like we could see how 
the the roster on this team, and of course, then you have the DeAndre Hopkins trade, like yeah. all the stuff, the way it played out. Like, I don't think this is a huge surprise, but still, the fact I think that the Texans let it get to this point, um, that is um, that that's your AFC South right there. Yeah, it was more of a previously going back to like last year. It was more of a surface level looking at this roster and just thinking, you know, the same way I was saying. Some people talk about the Rams not having the depth. I mean, top heavy, the Texans really were, <laughs> and really still, you know, were this past season. Just even a little less at the top. Um, so that you know that was what we kind of saw from a broader scale. And now the, the more reporting that's going on, this the, yeah, this is one of my more interesting stories that I've definitely been captivated by is the dysfunction in this and this Texans organization with the Jack Easterby hire and his place and all these different things. That's another thing Peter King touched on again, but there's those SI articles that talked about players thinking they were being surveilled outside of the, outside of the facility, the, you know, his role in terms of undermining other fellow executives. It's just a crazy, yeah, that's what the joke basically is that they chose this guy who has no football operations experience over Deshaun Watson. That's become like what (laughs) happened with, with this Texans organization and it's, yeah, definitely one of the stories that, you know, not if you're a Texans fan, but in terms of a broad scale, it is very interesting. It's not, you know, we've seen teams that have bad, uh, you know, just are perennially bad and you don't know the complete issue. And, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean there's like a ton of dysfunction. This is this is a story that's worth following and, yeah, one that's not going to go away anytime soon. If they somehow figure out how to make it work with Deshaun, as we've talked about, though, they somehow get him to just be fine and actually play and not hold out and whatnot and try to really force his way out. Uh, it's, they're still a bad football team. They still have a lot of yeah. other issues. Yeah, they're not good. And uh, so, yeah, I, I think that's pretty much the expectation, especially if they trade him away. Like, I think they will um, potentially quickly become the worst mm-hmm. team in the AFC South, which is uh, hard to believe because the Jags were pretty bad. So uh, <laughs> we'll see. But there, there's our AFC South uh, award. For this season, uh, everyone always looks forward to that. I know. Uh, all right, let's talk about our most surprising team here because uh, I'll start. I will go with the Browns, and uh, I kept mm-hmm. going back to it throughout the season. Uh, this was the pick we made when we sent it in uh, to Blue Wire. This was among our picks. It was going to be our mm-hmm. most surprising team and our most disappointing team. And sure enough, Dylan, I'm making my picks that I made before the season for the exact <laughs> spots here for the most surprising and most disappointing. Again, I didn't get much right because you're talking to the guy uh, who picked the Cowboys to make the Super Bowl, but. Um, I think I did get these two right, and so I'm going to have to lean yeah. on that for this offseason uh, because that's all I have to go on. Uh, but uh, I'm going to go with the Browns. I just think that, you know, I we thought they'd be better, but I don't know that we thought they would be as, you know, crisp as they were yeah. and, and really just playing the way they were going into the playoffs. So uh, I'm going to go with the Browns for mine. I mean, maybe it's a surprise, but for you, I mean, you called it, so I don't know how right. surprising. That's true. Good <laughs> point. You predicted this. You knew that they were going to be the most surprising team, and I, you know, I had – some confidence, and I thought their offensive lineman would be better. I did not think it would be what PFF, their uh, post-regular season article, ranked it the number one offensive line in the NFL in 2020. That is not something, that's the surprising thing for me. And how, I mean, Stefanski, yes, there was a lot of reason to think that he'd be able to work with these pieces and make it look a lot better than what we saw under Freddie Kitchens in 2019. But yeah, I mean, 11-5 and is still beyond what I would have predicted, and it's still, you know, it was kind of like a wait till you see it situation with this Browns team. We saw this, all the all the talent they had, and sure enough, 
now they're a team that we should expect moving forward, you know, keeping these pieces and only building from here, that they should be in the conversation, at least in the AFC, which is a lot better than where they've been for the last two decades. Yep, for sure. And uh, you are going to go uh, in a different direction uh, with the the team that won their division. Uh, maybe, maybe we should have had a, an award for that division this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we, we decided not to. But, uh, hey, they won their division, so they have to be considered a surprise. Yeah, I'm going with the Washington football team. I, I didn't really think about negative teams for this most surprising in terms of we, – we'll, we'll get to a yeah. category that's fitting for that in a second here. But, yeah, I thought Washington is – it's not even just that they won the division. I didn't think they'd be anywhere near, you know, a 500 football team. And they finished 16th right in the middle of uh, Football Outsiders DVOA rankings as a team. They were 30th a year ago. So, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's, mm. it's a pretty big jump for them, and uh, I did not anticipate it yet. I was, I, we kind of talked about, we thought that Ron Rivera, when we did, we were ranking all the head coaching hires uh, from uh, last season, I think we put Ron Rivera near the top, or if not the top choice in our opinion, and just in terms of what we felt like was needed for that organization with so much past dysfunction under Daniel Snyder. And we felt like Ron Rivera was the right guy to actually establish a new culture, and it really it happened. And uh, but for them to win as many games and actually win their division as they did, like I, it's not an impressive like you know record. But if you think about where this organization was just a couple of years ago, had the second overall pick, obviously when they took Chase Young, I mean, yeah, I, I'm legitimately surprised uh, that they won this division. So that that's why for me they they fit into this category. Yep, uh, I think so too. And uh, now that's a great transition, right? A great great segue into our picks for most disappointing teams because uh, this is right on the money there. There is a reason Washington won the NFC East. That's because the two teams they were battling with were uh, certainly the most disappointing teams in the NFL. And I think it's Mm -hmm. pretty easy to know which two teams we're going with here. And we can probably just group them together, Dylan, because the only reason I took the Eagles is because you took the Cowboys um, and vice (laughs) versa. So uh, those are the two teams we're we're going with in this category. Um, Like I said, I I did pick the Eagles going into the season, so I decided just to keep it at that. Uh, They were bad. We know that Cowboys, of course, uh, they were not good at all. Um, and so, I mean, it was just, again, a, such a surprise, I think, to see mm-hmm. these two teams fall to the level they did. We know with the Cowboys, you know, a little bit more significant, I think, just because of, of Dak's yeah. injury. Like, we kind of knew that this team was going to struggle after that. But the Eagles, like, they just could never seemingly figure it out. Um, so I think maybe the Eagles more disappointing, just from my opinion on that. Mm-hmm. But... Anyway, you slice that these two teams were not good. Uh, and I know, Dylan, you have a, a special bonus pick since uh, these two are, like we said, yeah. pretty pretty easy to figure out. So Yeah, these two, and I have a postseason one. But, yeah, for these two, I mean, even though in 2019 these teams were not, like, great by any means, like they they, they, they played in that Week 17 game, if you remember, to win the division last year, and it was just an ugly, gross, not exciting football game. But – you know, despite their overall finishes a year ago, which were not fantastic, they they ranked the, the Cowboys in 2019 were sixth in DVOA and the, and the Eagles were 11th. So there was reason to be optimistic based on the advanced stats of like what the actual quality of those teams was that didn't really bear out by the end of the season with their record that they, especially Dallas, they had, you know, a top three offense for most of uh, the 2019 season in DVOA. Obviously the DAC injury hurt them a bit, but their defense, we were worried about it before the year, ended up being even worse than I could have possibly imagined yeah. uh, for large stretches until later in the season. They had some a decent few performances, usually against really bad offenses. So, yeah, they those two teams, and, yeah, the Eagles, obviously, just so everything with Carson Wentz, who, I mean, yes, the pieces around him and th- issues around him were definitely part of it, but I, I do just – 
it's not just like when you take the circumstances of uh, who he has around him, his quality of play still just really dropped off. He was the worst quarterback with a minimum 200 passes in the NFL in terms of his added uh, DYAR, which is a DVOA uh, variant statistic just for players. And yeah, so I mean, even with this, that's supposed to take you know into account how good you have the talent around you and not really just evaluate you on your performance with the, the stats, but actually like how well did you play within what you had around you? And he still was the worst quarterback. So that they, they become an easily disappointing team uh, for me there. And then, yeah, my, my last submission to make it a little more interesting was at least disappointing in terms of, you know, expectations for this franchise the last four years, especially, and they just always found a way to lose in the playoffs and that's the saints. Obviously, the, the pass interference call in the NFC title game, you could argue that that should have been the year that they would have made the Super Bowl. Maybe yep. they would have had a shot to beat the Patriots. Um, but at least this year, I still think it has to be up there because, I mean, they beat the Bucks twice in the regular season. They're the two seed. They, for a large portion of the year, looked like one of the best teams in the NFL. They're still winning without Drew Brees on the field. And then it's just another year with another disappointing playoff exit. So, I, yeah, just disappointing team and more so what we could have been for the last few years from this franchise. It just hasn't bore out in the playoffs. Yep, uh, for sure. And, uh, again, that's been a common theme we talked about. Uh, we'll see kind of what's next for them, you know, just kind of looking ahead, knowing that, you know, we're not exactly sure what things are going to look like there for the Saints uh, moving forward. So um, those are our most disappointing teams. Now let's uh, get back on a positive note here. Uh, <laughs> our most improved teams, and, uh, Dylan, I'll let you talk more about in this one because I'm going with the Browns again. Uh, I'm just on the Browns bandwagon here. I, I'm picking them as my most improved team. Uh, I just thought that, you know, overall, the jump that they made from last yeah. season, knowing how bad they were, and then to be at the level that they were, and, you know, really, really had a chance to beat the Chiefs. So, so um, mm-hmm. I know a little bit of a different situation there, but still, um, it's, uh, yeah, I'm going to go with the Browns again, but I know you've got another pick that uh, will probably be knowing the Chiefs pretty well here in about uh, six days. Yeah, there's probably teams that maybe improved a bit better from where they were, uh, you know, DVOA rankings. One that we, last year I think we mentioned as one of our most improved teams was the Miami Dolphins. Even though last year they still finished 32nd in DVOA, they jumped all the way to 12th. Yeah. So that one maybe should have been one of our picks. That's like true. They, I mean, that's a dramatic rise. But I put the Bucks. I mean, this is a team that has been middle of the road or worse for so many years. And last year we're 14th in DVOA. We talked about how, you know, leading up to the season – before Tom Brady went there, why we thought it was such a good circumstance wasn't just the talent in terms of the weapons he was going to have, but just how good that defense really was. And it, if anything, it's gotten better. They really hit with some of these picks, obviously, with De- uh, Devin White and then uh, Antoine Winfield and just a lot of guys that have really made that, that defense even better. But then, obviously, yeah, you bring in Brady. It brings together everything. It took a team that – so, yeah, maybe they didn't make the biggest jump in DVOA, but they jumped all the way from 14th to second. I mean, they became the second-best team in DVOA in the entire NFL uh, so I, I feel like they were deserving of this spot just for a franchise that hasn't been in the playoffs for over a decade to, to now be a legitimate going into the postseason. And, we, you know, the expectations were super high for Tampa Bay, and we talked about that leading up to the season. Would they be able to meet these really high expectations? They've definitely exceeded just by getting to the NFC title game. I thought they had met them, if not <laughs> exceeded them. Like we, like we keep saying, it's so hard to get to the Super Bowl. There's a reason these um, these Hall of Fame quarterbacks, Dan Marino also only made one Super Bowl. Like there's a reason – these guys, this happens. It's just, it's not easy. So I felt like for the Bucks to go from that middle of the road, 
team that's just kind of forgettable that wins six, seven games every year to a Super Bowl team. I thought it definitely deserved some mentioning in this category. Yeah, for sure. And uh, they are one of the only two teams playing uh, for the championship. So um, that's uh, that's a good place to be in terms of uh, improving. And uh, there's no doubt the Bucks are much improved uh, for sure. All right, let's pick our most memorable moment of the year here. This was a difficult one, I thought, um, because, like we said, the season, it's just hard to kind of think back through and decide, okay, what is the biggest moment that stands out? Um, there are lots of them that happen throughout the course of a 17-week NFL season uh, for sure. You know, Dylan, one of the, I guess, honorable mention, but it's it's sort mm-hmm. of a it's a negative one, but, I mean, it's certainly <laughs> a memorable one, right? Because uh, Dak Prescott's injury, I think, is one yeah. to, to put in that category, um, not one you want to remember, but it was very significant from the scope of, I think, of the Cowboys and just mm-hmm. the, the injury itself. Um, that was just not one that you ever want to see. Uh, anyone endure uh, and then the other one I had as my other honorable mention was uh, the Jets beating the Rams uh, just because yes. <laughs> uh, it completely just you know throws off the Jets chances of uh, running the table in reverse and having a chance at uh, being able to to get that number one pick uh, ultimately I went with the DeAndre Hopkins touchdown catch against the, the Bills I yeah. think was that week 10 I, I believe it was mm-hmm. um, you know that's certainly this the insane finish to that game really the that sequence in the entire, like it wasn't just that one play. I think just the the sequence, mm-hmm. finishing sequence itself, uh, was pretty nuts in that game. Uh, so the way that played out, uh, I think that was certainly a choice that uh, you probably couldn't mm-hmm. go wrong with. So I went with the easiest choice, which I think was that one. Yeah, the, the touchdown pass before that from Josh Allen to Stephon Diggs to give Buffalo the lead was insane in itself. They're yeah. just like you're saying, the amount of things that led up to that moment definitely fit. I mean, yeah, for this, I kind of use. Uh, for my barometer of it, it was, and it's kind of worked for like last year when we did this, it was just which events or which like specific moments really threw NFL Twitter to a place that if you follow a lot of people that work in the NFL or cover the NFL, what is just a constant, uh, you know, just exclamation points, all caps, all sorts of just madness. And that's why I picked the Browns early barrage against the Steelers in the wild card round when they took that 28 to zero lead. And if, uh, Twitter was just losing it. Uh, you know, also yeah. had all the, there was a lot of, uh, negative, not that negativity towards the Steelers, but people that had been saying they were uh, maybe a little bit overrated throughout the season, and then you have the players that are kind of firing back about all that kind of stuff. So you have that element where fans of the Browns and more of just fans in general of teams were letting Steelers fans and the Steelers' uh, whole account have it. It was it was craziness. So, and but just from a pure football perspective, it was also insane. The Browns haven't been in the playoffs for basically two decades. Only the second appearance since they re-became a franchise in 1999 and to have it start with the <laughs> the hike over Big Ben's head for the touchdown and then all the picks and apply, it was just craziness it was definitely for me the moment and when I re- think about the season uh, that I'll remember the most along with if Tampa Bay wins the Super Bowl especially I'm going to probably think about that touchdown to Scotty Miller at the end of the um, at the end of the first half against the Packers is just like a moment where my I you know still obviously it's only been a couple of weeks but feeling like your whole body like <laughs> all the sensation like holy crap that's like that could be the moment that this this goes from this Buccaneers yeah. team being a great uh, you know a good story making it all the way here to this could be a Super Bowl team and yeah so that those are the two moments for me that had the most explosive NFL Twitter impacts for sure <laughs> Yeah, but I but think the so. One is right there. No, there, like I said, there were a lot of them, but uh, yeah, it's it's uh, going to be fascinating, I think, to see uh, whether you know how 
And if we're looking ahead next year, like what are the what are the things going to be able to, to talk about next year? We, we might make our early predictions. I can't wait for that episode. That's always a oh, fun gosh. one. Uh, our way too early predictions for the next season, and we might have to predict what we think the moment's going to be uh, yeah. next year, and uh, we may have to look ahead at the schedule and figure out some stuff like that. But uh, all right, on to our breakout player of the year. Um, this was one that, again, I think is very tough to pick because there's lots of different options you could go with, I think, in this category. Uh, we talked about the Jags a little bit earlier. Uh, I'm going to go to the Jags here because I think this guy's a breakout player, and a lot of people probably didn't see it because uh, I don't think a lot of people are watching the Jags play uh, football yeah. uh, because they were bad. <laughs> and uh, I think that was probably one to where maybe people didn't realize just how much of a breakout year it was. I went with James Robinson. I mean, this guy goes undrafted. Um, you know, we knew the mm-hmm. Jags were going to be bad, but, man, you know, he rushes for over 1,000 yards. I think he was in the top five in the league. Um, you know, he carried it 200, almost 250 times. Like, this guy just became the workhorse uh, for this Jags yeah. team. And, you know, like we said, the guys who on bad teams don't always get the credit they deserve. But uh, I thought he was just uh, – he was really good. And uh, if you played fantasy football and you got that guy early in the season, congratulations because uh, you were probably a little bit richer after the year because you probably won your league because this guy uh, was yeah. pretty good. So. He was a floater in that range where, like, I mean, like the Miles Gaskin kind of guys of the draft where it's like if you did enough research and you're yeah. like, all right, these guys are probably going to get the opportunities. <laughs> but you're like, it is the Jags, and we knew they were going to be bad, maybe yeah. a bit worse than I expected. But uh, still, yeah, I mean, he was incredible. He played, I mean, it's, the thing is he also played with, uh, I don't remember the exact ranking for the Jags in that PFF article about top offensive lines. I believe they're kind of just below average, maybe in like the 20s or low 20s in terms of run blocking. Like yeah. he did this with a line that wasn't like fantastic with a team, uh, you know, that where people knew they're going to probably have to run the balls, especially when it wasn't Minshew in there at the time. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he yeah, he was really impressive, man. And uh, I think he's someone that also just as a, his ability as a receiver, uh, that there's a reason why he – uh, teams overlooked him. I, he's not like the fastest guy, but he's just shifty enough. He sees the game really well. Uh, really, yeah, someone that I think deserved a lot of attention here. Um, and then my one is more cheating. I don't know if this one's like that <laughs> easy or, you know, it's not like a surprising pick. Like you could make an argument for any number of rookies that, that also jump out. Uh, but, I mean, for me, I, I put Herbert, Justin Herbert here for the Chargers just because going back to the draft, I mean, we looked at the, the kind of the, the narrative around him was it was just – Kind of a mad pick, like yes, the Chargers need a new quarterback, like with Philip gone and Herbert's the guy available because two is off the board. And sure enough, now I mean he's put a, put up pretty historically efficient numbers for a for a rookie quarterback that I just did not anticipate on a team that you know for a lot of the a lot of time needed him to be amazing to to get things done. Yes, he had some good great weapons. Uh, Keenan Allen's one of the best receivers in the NFL. Mike Williams is solid. Hunter Henry's great. They just they had some pieces, but their offensive line's not that good. And his ability to make off-schedule throws and just plays with his arm that and he, even when he didn't have to make them just his ability to throw all over the field it was I mean yeah he looked like kind of what, almost what we saw from Josh Allen this year like if you watch their highlights next to each other they make a lot of similar type plays on running on the run in the pocket everything they have a similar size the arm talent the strength so yeah I did not anticipate you know and the thing about him that made it also just as confusing is that I mean, he was really bad under pressure in college. Like, he was one of, one of the biggest – and he also had – I forget the exact stat, but it was – PFF did this whole breakdown of the most off-target throws with receivers that were open by at least five yards. And he was one of the top guys of those top top draft quarterbacks. So, like, these num- these things that, you know, you're trying to look below what actually 
you know, college performance, what actually could indicate if a guy has accuracy issues, if a guy can handle pressure. Herbert was not (laughs) good in those categories. And then he became amazing in the NFL. I mean, that's a credit to the Chargers, but also to him and his work. I think it's some combination of the two. And there's a reason that Brandon Staley was so excited to take the job there with the Chargers because he knows they have a quarterback that's going to be really, really good for a long time. Yep, uh, no doubt. I mean, it's uh, like you said, he's uh, he may be someone that pops up on our list here pretty soon. Uh, we'll get to that here in a second. Uh, yeah. <laughs> game of the year. Uh, this was another one we just decided, you know what, there's so many freaking games that I, you know, I, usually we, we were talking about it too. Like last year you thought back and like it felt mm-hmm. like there's some pretty, like there was uh, several that you looked at and I think you're like, all right, these, like we got to decide between this group, but mm-hmm. I didn't feel that this year. Like I just, and again, maybe it's we're getting older, Dylan. Our our brains are just not, you know, able to recall this as many games or something. I don't know, but um, I thought there was one that pretty much stood out above the rest. We did talk about that Bills Cardinals game. You could throw yeah. that in the mix uh, for sure. But uh, Browns Ravens uh, Monday Night Football, like that was uh, the one that, like you said earlier, the the NFL social media test. Like that mm-hmm. one, that one passed the test. Uh, in terms of everyone was going nuts yep. about that game. Uh, you know, I mean, I think the viewership was just through the roof. Uh, once mm-hmm. people started watching that game, it was just insane. So I thought that made a pretty pretty easy pick uh, for game of the year. Yeah, and you had the moment with Lamar going to the locker room like yeah. thing and coming out. And just, it's like the amount of dramatic things that were made it beyond just like a normal football game with, you know, the Browns, the team that hasn't made the playoffs in so many years. Just so many – so many storylines, so many things that made it not even just feel like a football game. It felt like we were just watching something bigger than that. <laughs> so, yeah, the, it, it, it just was the final score, 47-42. That's uh, pretty insane in itself. It's not quite Chiefs-Rams maybe from a couple of years ago. And, and a year ago, if anyone remembers the Saints-Niners game, it was really insane in New Orleans. Like, those ones stick out the same kind of way. Maybe the Ravens-Browns game here is more on that level. Uh, so, yeah, the only other ones I even thought about, We yeah, we talked about that Bills-Cardinals game. Uh, there was like the Cowboys Falcons game with the onside kick was really insane really early in the year in week two with everyone's like how the Falcons lose this game there that was when the Fal- that was one of the big stories was just Atlanta constantly losing games that they you couldn't have dreamed of them losing and then maybe Titans Ravens that they you know the Ravens are trying to get revenge in the regular season the game ends up going to overtime Derrick Henry has a walk off touchdown that's where the whole thing started with the celebrating on the logos but I just don't think those quite captivated the same way yeah there's this this Browns Ravens game it helped all obviously it's all Monday night football as well just a game that I when I look back in the future I think that's the one that's going to really as a single game maybe the best moment like we're saying with the 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 uh, Kyler Murray to DeAndre Hopkins play but like in terms of a game that I really remember I think that's the one Ravens Browns that's going to stick in my mind I think so too uh that's one uh go back and watch it that's that could be a fun one if you if you just need a game before the Super Bowl um that's <laughs> well I guess you know not if you're a fan of the losing team uh but uh man the Browns just all over our awards this year how about yes. that um just uh all they're over gonna the be, have make one more appearance yes they are <laughs> um and uh we'll get to that in a second before we do our rookie of the year, I guess we don't really have to talk a lot about him because we just talked about him a second ago. Yeah. Uh, breakout player of the year was uh, Justin Herbert for Dylan, and uh, he is going to be our rookie of the year um, here for both of us because I think it mm-hmm. was one where 
I thought about Justin Jefferson. Uh, I thought yep. he was one too. That, like we said, he unfortunately played for a bad team, which Herbert did too. But um, I, I thought that Jefferson was just man. He was so good yeah. when you watched him play, and uh, he's another one that I think is certainly uh, just going to be a. He's a star already, but he's yeah. a future star. And and I don't know that we gave him that you know enough credit maybe going into the season. I think we weren't exactly sure you know what it would look like for him potentially yeah. going into to this year and with the Vikings offense and all that. But um, he was a stud, uh, but Justin Herbert uh, racks up another award here on our awards list. Yeah, at least in the draft, I definitely had Jefferson a bit higher than where he ended up going. And yep. I, do, I do think some teams, obviously, there's guys that are still developing that got drafted before him that could end up having great careers. But, we, yeah, we did talk about how, you know, he was going to have a chance to succeed because he was going to be in this role in this offense, which – uh, you know, there's a ton of pressure to replace Stefan Diggs. And we, I, I don't remember exactly what I said, but it was along the lines of, I think you can still have a respectable, like good season. I didn't think you'd put up the most yards by a Vikings rookie breaking Randy Moss's <laughs> record. Um, I, yeah, he was better than anything I could have anticipated. And he, and some seasons probably would have been the rookie of the year. It's just, it's really hard to, to look at that. And then like we're talking about Justin Herbert, uh, I was looking up the stats while we were talking ahead of this of the third best quarterback against pressure in the NFL. <laughs> like what the heck, man? Like that's absolutely insane. Top 10 in, in BYAR from football outsiders. I mean, Herbert became legitimately a star quarterback and uh, you know, that obviously that award and that position uh, for any award is it's going to just like when we get to MVP, it's hard for other guys to break that if you really have a transcendent talent at that level. And I, yeah, I think there's just, there's no way I couldn't pick Justin Herbert with how fantastic of a rookie season he had. Yep. He was, he was good. And uh, like we said, I think he was the, probably the I'd say obvious, but uh, probably, probably close to obvious in terms of a guy you just knew you had to pick uh, for mm-hmm. this particular award. All right, coach of the year, uh, man, Browns. They're just they're back again. Like these guys, just uh, they don't go away. Uh, the Browns are going to make another appearance, Dylan, uh, here with your choice. Uh, my choice going to be Sean McDermott from the Bills. I think um, you know, like we said, really aside from that blowout to the uh, to the mm-hmm. Titans, and that was coming off of the uh, what was it? Wasn't there a pause or something right before that? That game got delayed yeah, yeah. or something. Mm-hmm. Um, really, you know, the only outside of the playoff loss, like the only other two losses they had were to the Chiefs in the regular season and that last second loss that probably would not have happened 99 times out of 100 against the Cardinals. So uh, the Bills are pretty fantastic. So uh, I will go with Sean McDermott as my pick. Yeah, I think that's a great choice. I think, I mean, the coach of the year is always one for me where I feel like any number of guys can win it. It's it, And it's just the case for the actual award too, in terms of the narrative base that has to be part of it. I think Sean fits in that level. I would have maybe have put him maybe a, the, when they made the playoffs the year uh, before they drafted Josh Allen is like, that was a season where it's like, wow, he's really turning things around for this franchise. And especially at that point when they were way ahead of schedule, I think Brian Flores was in that conversation. He still probably should be in the conversation this year. Ron Rivera, all these guys that are kind of on these teams that are most improved breakout teams that we uh, saw, you know, overachieve. I think they fit. And but I, yeah, I just I came back to <laughs> because of we've seen guys with the talent in Cleveland the last couple of years not make it work. So I thought I thought Kevin Stefanski deserves some credit, and obviously gets a ton of credit from Browns fans in terms of what he's able to build, not just in terms of you know the the scheme and everything, but culture wise. I mean, it feels like. He's doing the same kind of thing we've seen uh, with the talent that, you know, McVay took over with the Rams and was able to really turn that around, take the talent that was already there and actually get something done with it. Uh, Maybe a little bit different with Matt LaFleur and the Packers, but these guys that are 
coming from these kind of Shanahan Kubiak uh, schemes and but, they're, but the thing is, they're also not just scheme guys. Like, I really do believe Kevin Stefanski is building a major culture there in Cleveland, and I think that is why, you know, that's the same thing with McDermott. I mean, these guys and, and Brian Flores and Ron Rivera, all these guys can do all the things scheme-wise, but it, it's really hard to build that culture, especially in a place that's traditionally been a loser that was, you know, had such high expectations the year before, did not meet those Obviously, the offensive line uh, additions, again, with Conklin, uh, with you know, the rise of White Teller becoming a lot better this year as well, and then the, uh, the draft. I mean, they, yeah, they just they nailed it, but I think Stefanski deserves a lot of credit for how Cleveland did in going 11-5 and five in his first year. All right, the big award, uh, the MVP, and uh, I think this one was another that's, I don't know, like I – I pretty much settled on this guy from the start, and I really didn't know that there were a lot of other choices uh, to consider. Um, I'm going with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, Dylan, I think that he just, you know, we have to put aside, remember, we have to put aside the playoffs and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. But uh, if you just look at the season, he was great, and it's like this guy just, I don't know, he's just like like a fine wine. He just continues to uh, (laughs) age very well. And uh, he, he just, you know, the Packers, we said, they were they were the favorite. Like, we thought we would see the Packers and the Chiefs. And, yep. you know, I think that you just thought that's what you were going to get because of how well they played during the regular season. Rodgers is fantastic. Uh, he's my choice. Yeah, he's my choice as well. As much as I was trying to be like, maybe we can have a couple different picks here. It's just, And I, I do think Mahomes, really, when you look at the the numbers and obviously their success, I think he's right there. Maybe he's just not getting as much credit because of how easy the Chiefs make it look. Uh, but, yeah, I think Aaron still deserves it. I mean, I, it's a lot different scheme in offense and weapons than when uh, his last one is uh, first two MVPs going back. I think the first one was 2011 and one more a couple of years after that. Um, those teams, a lot different scheme. And maybe you could argue that it's, yeah, this award for him as the MVP goes as much to Matt LaFleur and what they've been able to do, making, you know, taking a superstar quarterback and putting him into one of the most quarterback-friendly systems and seeing how dominant that could be. I think that's partially why you look at the Niners right now looking for uh, – and the Rams getting Stafford. These teams, these guys that come from the same coaching tree that see, like, yes, we can make quarterbacks great or, good or look better than they are and uh, protect them a bit with our scheme. But what could we do if we have that star talent? And I think, yeah, you just saw it before out this year with the Packers and how dominant they were. When they were on their game and just a few little mistakes here and there, uh, you know, ended up – being the reason they're not in the Super Bowl, they really could have, you know, going back and watching that game again against Tampa Bay, some little tiny things are, the, are really the difference. Uh, but I, I think, you know, Aaron, just a fantastic, fantastic year. Um, and, I mean, it makes sense that, yeah, him, Mahomes, for me, are the top two. Josh Allen has to be close to there. And really, Tom Brady should be just as close. Tom Brady finished third in DYAR behind Mahomes and Rodgers. So, just uh, it's really funny that the top four, it makes sense, uh, top four quarterbacks in that in that stat were the guys playing the, the last couple, two of the last three games of the year in the conference championships and now a couple of them in the Super Bowl. Um, I just think Aaron, just by a bit, uh, statistically, I, I think you got to give him the nod for this one. Yep, me Mahomes too. is going to win. Mahomes right. is going to win a few more. <laughs> I, I think he's going to have a chance to win a couple more of those. Um, so, yeah, I think that's uh, fair to say uh, for sure. But there you go. There are our picks uh, for our awards as we did uh, last year. You know, we like to have a little fun before we get into breaking down the Super Bowl. And, Dylan, we will do that in our uh, Super Bowl preview episode uh, coming up later in the week. And we will have all of our picks, uh, our prop bets, all the fun yes. that we love to have uh, with uh, the Super Bowl. And uh, we'll have that coming up here later in the week. But uh, for now, Dylan, we got a lot of stuff going on for Clutch Points, getting ready for the Super Bowl. Um, lots happening. Uh, let everybody know where they can find all that. 
Yeah, you can read all of our, our coverage of the Super Bowl. We're going to have a lot of just predictions, not just for the, the betting, for the main spreads and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, a lot of stuff on the props written out, too, uh, different things like that, different player previews, matchup previews, all sorts of stuff, in addition to all the news, uh, all the coverage of everything going on during Super Bowl week. You can find in the Clutch Points app as well as in clutchpoints.com. You can follow the Super Bowl. Obviously, in the Clutch Points app, any of the NBA games going uh, down eventually, we'll see whenever baseball starts. Confusing. The players don't even know when the season's going to start for baseball. But whenever it does, uh, we will have all those games in the app as well. Uh, you can read all of our coverage for all the signings, uh, uh, trades. You can talk about uh, the Rockies getting robbed from Nolan Arenado in that deal, all that kind of stuff <laughs> we have covered at ClutchPoints.com. Yep, check all that out uh, over there. And, uh, again, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, any podcast app you use. Uh, you can find us on there. And uh, thanks, as always, to fine folks Blue Wire for all that they do. And thank you, as always, for listening. And we'll talk to you guys next time here on the Establish the Past podcast. <laughs>